This is Tell Me What to Read, the podcast of booktopia.com.au. I'm Nick Wasiliev and I'm delighted to be back for another special book discussion episode. A few weeks ago, the Brisbane Writers Festival schedule was announced and I had the privilege of chatting with CEO of the festival, Sarah Runcy, um, about the, the festival, the upcoming schedule. Links to that interview will be included in the description. Booktopia is delighted to be a book partner with the Brisbane Writers Festival and supporting their online author editor series and author illustrator series. And to get a little shameless plug out of the way, Booktopia customers can access a 33% discount for $10 per episode from the series, which are released monthly until November this year. So you can head over, use the discount code Booktopia to get access to $10 tickets and also let the festival know that we sent you. But We are coming to you now because we are less than a week out from the launch of the festival, and today I'm delighted to sit down with two authors who will be taking part in multiple events at this year's festival. My first guest is Christine Lunens. She is the author of acclaimed uh, novels Primordial Soup, A Can of Sunshine and Caging Skies, the latter of which, of course, was adapted for the screen and became an Academy Award-winning box office smash directed by Taika Waititi, Jojo Rabbit. She'll be here at the festival for multiple events, including discussing her latest novel, In Amber's Wake, which came out in February this year. Christine, welcome to Tell Me What to Read. Thank you very much. It's great to have you. And my second guest is the one and only Annabelle Abbs. She is a renowned writer and novelist known for her bestsellers Frida, The Real Lady Chatterley and The Joyce Girl, the latter of which won the Impress New Writer Prize and was translated into 10 languages and is currently being adapted for the stage, I believe. Her new novel, The Language of Food, was translated as well and is being adapted for the screen by CBS Studios. And she will also be discussing her collection collection slash memoir, Windswept Why Women Walk, which explores the walking lives of six remarkable women. She's joining us from the UK right now. So good morning, Annabelle. Thank you so much for having me. Good morning to you. It's a delight to have you both here. Um, And additionally, I can't wait to see you both uh, at the festival this year. It's, I'll kick off with a, a very, I suppose, basic question because this is a fantastic star-studded lineup from this festival. When Sarah was describing it to me a few weeks back, there's former prime ministers, there's celebrities, there's acclaimed authors, you name it. Uh, this is a question, of course, for, for both of you, but I'll, I'll throw to, to you first, Christine. What's it like to, to be included in such a festival? Oh, listen, I think it's just wonderful. It's so enriching to meet people, you know, who are coming from all walks of life from all over the world. And and just to have, um, you know, the the dynamic of people who actually love books to be there, I just find it really energizing and and absolutely encouraging, you know, because a, a writer has a long, long road, you know, years Often it's five, six years at a time, as you yourself know, you know, as a writer. So to actually have that kind of engagement with people, that really helps know why we do that. It is. It's it's so fascinating to just hear from other writers, chat with other writers around their process and, and everything in between. Annabelle, what's the experience like for you to be included in this in this festival? Oh, well, it's absolutely marvellous. And I completely agree with Christine about the the lonely life of a writer. But for me also, I haven't been to Australia before. And I was supposed to be at the Sydney Writers Festival five years ago. I had a terrible accident about two months before and I couldn't I couldn't come. So for me, there's all this whole extra excitement of, you know, coming to Australia, where some of my ancestors went and I'll, I'll still they're still there and I've never actually been so I feel a little bit as though I'm sort of coming to a little a lost part of my homeland um so yes yeah, so very excited about every aspect of it well you're very welcome we're very we're very glad to have you um yeah. and I, and I, <laughs> I hope that uh, that you'll have the chance to, to to catch up and meet so many other fantastic authors as well as, as as part of this festival but before I dive into the festival itself and the events that you'll be featuring in I I, my, my own curiosity has, has got the better of me. And I kind of want to ask you both about the fact that both your works have been adapted or in the process of being adapted. Um, and I want to kind of ask you a little bit about that before I can. Annabelle, the, the, the Joyce Girl is heading to the stage, um, is currently being adapted and the language of food is heading to the screen. I'm just curious, what's it like being caught up in, in, those, in those spaces? I imagine it's very strange seeing your work and characters being translated into a different medium separate from the page 
Mm, it is. It is quite. It is quite strange. But it's also. It's also quite exciting, because um, suddenly you see someone else's uh, interpretation and vision, and you realise that actually it's 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 quite different from from what you thought you were writing. So I have this sort of. Um, belief that when uh, when a writer puts something out into the world that's it, it it's really no longer theirs the, the the baby has grown up and you don't really have any more um you don't really have we certainly don't have any control over it but actually it's not it's not really it's what other people make of it so it's been really interesting for me particularly working with um the the television the television people who are wanting to add all sorts of extra plot points that you know that aren't even mine and that's slightly oh oh but that actually didn't happen in real life uh and so that sort of that letting go the the process of letting go um is uh has has brought a certain um a certain sort of I, I suppose uncertainty for me that I I hadn't quite expected uh so that's that's good it's just like you know when your child leaves home and you're not quite sure how you're going to feel and the feelings change over time. But in the end, all is well. So, so I, neither have come out yet. So hopefully all will be well. I but love- Christi, Christine has more experience because she's seen the thing. She's seen that process right through to the end. Whereas I'm just still in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to say, Christine, you've been there and done that with uh with Jojo Rabbit and it went on to be huge um I imagine it must have been a very surreal moment to have Taika Waititi calling you up and saying Christine I want to direct this movie that is based off your work um what was that experience like oh it was fantastic um Taika when he took the the novel he was known in New Zealand but he wasn't known worldwide the way he had become um afterwards But I remember we spoke and he discussed the vision of the book. I had gone to see the two films that he had done. I absolutely loved his work. So um, when he came to me with the screenplay, he said to me, it's still your baby. I've just changed the clothes a little bit. And I said, Taika, you've done something with the hair over here. (laughs) You know, so we were having great laughs. laughs. And I I just absolutely loved what he did when I saw the, the screenplay. And so I felt quite confident in that way because I loved what he did so much. I knew that he put his signature on it, but that it would still be, you know, my characters. So it just felt, um, yeah, when, when it felt really amazing. When I saw the film for the first time, um, the producer who comes from Nelson actually came here and showed it to me in the, in the cinema uh, locally. So it was just he and his parents and I and my family. And I was just so, so absolutely moved to see it. And I thought to myself, this is such, you know, um, such a moving movie. You know, one moment I was laughing, then the other moment I was in tears. So I I just felt so incredibly proud that my story or the characters had somehow grown up on their own and, you know, become this and in, in another medium. I, I still remember seeing it in, I was lucky enough to go to gold class in here in Sydney and when I got to see it. So it was one of the, and it was a, you are absolutely right. He, I, how he managed to first of all uh, adapt it with such faith, um, but also really kind of give it its own spin for, for the screen was just honestly amazing. And it, it's interesting touching on your, both of your points. The, the thing about being a writer is when when your book's done, you're, you're done. But it is, again, it's like a baby. It goes off into the world and it has its own life. It does its own thing. And it, it sounds like this all this adaptation is just another version of that of that book going off and being and being an adult and growing up, which I find <laughs> <laughs> so fascinating. Um, let's talk about your current books, um, your, your current titles that you'll be you'll be bringing to the festival. Uh, and that I hope that everyone can have the chance to check out. Um, um, you'll both be doing that, doing it as part of a seminar for the festival. Um, and Christine, I'll ask you about, about your book first. Can you, for our listeners who might not be familiar with it, um, can you tell us a little bit about In Amber's Wake? Um, so I'd say it's it's a love story, a, a love triangle. Um, But it's set against a very particular moment in history, which was the bombing of the Rainbow Warrior. It was during the protests where there were a lot of um, nuclear tests in the Pacific, during the Springbok tours where um, 
Well, actually, when the Springbok rugby players were coming to New Zealand, they weren't even allowed to refuel in Australia, which I mentioned in the book. And they came here and there were a lot of protests because people were divided. Some people were saying, keep politics out of sports, sports to sport. Other people really um, you know, wanted to just show them that even our white players can still beat these, these guys. So, you know, it, there's a lot of history, you know, interwoven into the story. So it is mainly a story that stands on its own, but it's inseparable from its era, which is the 80s, in a very turbulent time in New Zealand's history, and probably world's history at the same time. On a personal level, I mean, I'm a, I'm a massive rugby nut. So, and this, this uh, history, particularly around South African rugby history, is so fascinating, as much as it is at the time, it was such a controversial period with apartheid and how and where South Africa fit in the world in general. And that tour of New Zealand is infamous for just the controversy that overshadowed the game. Um, out of a personal curiosity, why do you like to go after like set events in such I don't like such, you know, some authors would be, would be very, would, would tread very lightly over some of these, uh, some of these, this subject and some of this, these, these topics, because they are difficult to talk about. They are uh, emotionally resonant for a lot of people who lived through those experiences. Um, you go right in and yeah. tackle it. Um, <laughs> do you love the challenge? Um, it, it's more than that. It's because I feel that in the kind of writing I do, I like to, juxtapose two things that, that make us as individual human beings that we are. On the one side, we have all the choices and the struggles and um, things to overcome and choices we make in our individual life. But we're not isolated. We're not hermetic. We're, we're not in a bubble. We actually live um, within what's happening on the bigger level. So there's what's happening individually and there's what's happening collectively. Even as today we might say what's going on um, with what's happening with Ukraine and Russia. You know, that comes, that also resonates still today, what was happening back then with the nuclear arms race. So these things actually don't go away. And hence, I feel that they need to be talked about. But I don't like to talk about them in a nonfiction way because we don't approach history like that through pages in the book. So I like to approach history. It's not history because it's actually what happens to be going on at the time. It's what we're living through. So I like to do that the way a human being experiences it, you know, in daily life, in weekly life, monthly life. It's, it definitely comes through on the page, just the, that, that feeling of, of how you experience history. Um, and I know personally, I'm, I've already ordered a copy of the book just because I was already interested in in the subject matter, so I'm I'm super excited for it. For our listeners, by the way, the the seminar co covering in Amber's Wake will be happening on May fifth at the Edge Auditorium. Um, Christine will be in conversation with Michaela Kalowski um, in regards to that. Annabelle, with yours, I want to ask you about Windswept as well. Um, this is this book sounded so fascinating when I was hearing about it. This, can you tell us a little bit about this collection slash memoir slash personal anecdotes, examination, and just how you came across the incredible women that you, you cover in this book. Mm, sure, sure. Well, I've, I've been a walker all my life because my parents, my parents never drove and we lived in this very remote part of Wales. So I just always walked. So that was sort of in my DNA. But you know, fast forward many, many, many years and uh, I, I couldn't walk very much because I had all these small children. So I started reading about walking. And then just one day, I just suddenly realized that all the books, all the books I was reading, I was reading a lot because I was sort of living vicariously on these you know, long hikes. Uh, they were all either written by men and about men, or they were uh, about men, or they were, well, they were all just sort of stories of, of, of men walking. And I just, what I really, really envied, particularly at that point of time when I felt very, very, um, cooped up and, and and you know at home with these small children and you know very had this very sort of restricted constrained life was that carefree nonchalance with which these men just sort of you know would throw on their backpack and off they would go you know through forests and mountains and having these wonderful adventures and so there was just something about that juxtaposition between the typically female uh, 
life, certainly historically, and the and the male life of of you know ad adventure and expedition and you know military adventure, all sorts of adventures, but certainly being out in the world and women being very much uh, not out in the world. And so I just and then I just thought, well, surely women surely women went for a walk you know it can't be it can't be that women never walked anywhere and of course lo and behold when I started digging around I found that women have always walked they've always been out in the landscape they've always done long hikes and, and often of course they always walked with you know firewood and water I mean they've always walked with carrying all the you know the, whatever it was the food and the babies and the uh, uh and, and the wood and the water so so we've always walked so that was that's just one thing but the it's always also been this long tradition of women walking and not necessarily writing or writing about it and not being published, writing about it, being published once and then going out of print or just writing about it very privately in letters and journals. Um, and then I came across one book and that and I just completely lost it. It was a book written by a French philosopher, professor of philosophy in Paris, and he had written uh, it was a bestseller in France and it was a bestseller in the UK. And it was about the link between philosophy and walking. And he had about 25 men in there and he did not even mention Simone de Beauvoir, who is, you know, the greatest female philosopher ever. But also she was a absolutely um, you know, crazy hiker. She used to go for like 30 kilometers a day or actually 40 kilometers a day, 30 miles a day, just walking on her own through uh, all sorts of you know, very remote places. And so that was my that was in 2014, and that was my moment. I thought, okay, I've got to I've got to write something. So then I spent about five years, sort of pulling pulling all these women together, and uh, doing their walks. So I tried to do some of their big walks, and then interweaving my own memoir of, you know, how women find a voice, how women uh, tackle some of the more female aspects of walking which include things like um you know solitude and fear uh and then and then sort of the book slowly came together so that is a very long winded answer to your question <laughs> <laughs> well the book well it's deep. I, I feel bad for asking that because it, the book covers a lot of ground it it definitely does um as out of curiosity i, I always so many people whenever i listen to podcasts um they always ask what do you want the the your your listener or your or your reader rather to get out of it and I always whenever I've heard that my response is well to go read the book and find out for yourself um, whenever I hear that I'm I'm kind of curious because this is on one hand you you taught you covered a lot of incredible women like some of the achievements they covered that they did were incredible but I'm curious there was a lot there was a, a real personal element to it because this mattered hugely to you what did the book teach you like the writing process and being around, being with these women on the page and seeing what they achieved and seeing what they went through and what they, and what they struggled with. Um, mm. What did it, mm. what did it teach you? Well, I was, I was really struck by how the landscapes they walked through affected their creativity and how it inspired them, how it changed the way they painted or wrote or thought um, and how and how different terrain, how we think differently in different terrains. So whether you're, if you're out in big, wide open space, that that changes you in a way that uh, you're changed differently when you walk beside water, for example. So I did long journeys walking, following rivers, also journeys through very flat areas, which George O'Keefe, the artist, was hugely inspired by, which and which terrified me before the thought of just space, 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 you know, coming from little England, you know, it's all little tiny fields and hedges. <laughs> um, so, so, and also the, and, and just the idea of, you know, mountains, how do we think differently when we're up, well, cl climbing up and down mountains? Because again, that's a very different landscape. And that also changes how you see things and how you and how you feel. So I, I looked. So that was one of the reasons I wanted to do their walks to see whether that had similar effects on on me and my work. So that link between where we are, you know, where we are is sort of who we are, really. Um, and and how that then feeds into the creative output. Yeah, it's it, it's definitely such a fascinating topic. And for all of our listeners, I also recommend you, you check out. 
uh, Windswept Why Women Walk as well. Um, Annabelle will be doing a seminar on that, as mentioned, with Christina Olsen at the State Library, and that'll be on the opening day of the festival, um, which will be Tuesday, May the 3rd. Um, so links for, to both of those seminars will be included in the description. Um, so before we dive into the kind of the second part of the podcast where we talk about the, the books that, uh, that you've been reading and enjoying and brought along, um, I do want to ask about one last thing in regards to the festival, because you'll be doing a, a seminar together um, coming up, which uh, with in, in, in collaboration with Mirandi Rewa, with Cass Moriarty as the chair, which is looking, looking past the shadow of history, which is what it's titled. And I love the sound of that. It's, and I don't want to, to, to highlight what the description is about. So I just want to, just wondering, I'll, I'll throw to you first, Christina, for this one. Can you both give us a, a teaser about what this, uh, this, this discussion seminar uh, will be about? Um, I believe it's going to be about how, through our writing, um, we approach history um, and how we, we it's, a, it's a shadow almost moving past. So what I found is when I first wrote Caging Skies, um, I had written it as something that I thought I just wanted people to remember this and not forget World War II. I had never intended to see during my lifetime a return to the far right or a return to extremism. And it really came as a shock to me when everyone began to say my book's becoming more and more relevant. This was before the film, more countries and more countries were buying it and they were saying it's relevant to our times. And I had never thought of my book as being something relevant. And what I found now, I guess being just old enough to have seen you know, enough of time go by, is I had thought that once we achieve something, um, you know, we fight for it, whether it's in our high school or in our university and then socially, once something is acquired, you, I used to think it's just acquired now, there we are, you know, tick the box, we have this, now we'll move on to something else. But I found that actually a lot of issues are things that we have to keep fighting for because it's as if everyone understands everything's fine for a decade, a second decade, and then what on earth we're going back to this this racism again and what I thought everything was you know going well for women and once again you know these problems are occurring and so yeah I think that's what it is shadow of history each one will approach how we through our writing um, view history what our themes are and I think that from what I saw of the different writers, they each do it a different um, way. I know one writer who's coming here, Mirandi Riru, she takes a story and then she puts a perspective which was of a, a woman who would have been considered at the time when the story was made not to have much voice. So for example, a woman in Malaysia who was just, you know, the servant and she wasn't a major figure she was just seen and then she she gives a voice and suddenly we'll see the story from her perspective which is very fascinating I find yeah this, this I feel like this is such a relevant topic and, and discussion um Annabelle similarly kind of to add add on this what were your perspectives on kind of on where history fits within within the context of of this discussion particularly within your own work well, I think for me, the you know that sort of idea of the shadow of history is also very much about all the voices that have been lost. Mm. So you know that phrase, history is written by the victors, mm. um, the winners, <clears throat> and you know. <laughs> so we only typically hear the voice of the winners, and then they rewrite history to suit them. And I think that it's well, we know that's still going on. <laughs> it's certainly still going on in Russia. Uh, so there's a really there's a real imperative to, and, and particularly I think for, for uh, creative writers, to find those lost voices. Now, mm. a historian can't necessarily do that because the lost voices, they've gone. There's no material, there's nothing in, there's no archive, there's no, there's no voice left. So the role of the novelist is very much to, to give a voice to those voices that have been just completely swept away. So it's in my novel that's just come out in Australia, it tells the story of a, a, a chef who is a, a, the UK's first cookery writer, really, who mm. is not very well known at all, but also 
I've given a, a, a voice to her servant. She worked with a servant girl for 10 years and, and we know that they work together. But of course, the servant girl's voice has completely gone. She left nothing, nothing at all. So I've had to uh, sort of reimagine that. But I think that is that is the great the great power of of historical fiction is to bring back to life all those lost voices of history. I agree. I agree absolutely. Yeah. If I could just say one thing too, which I find interesting, is one day it had occurred to me that the word itself, history, is his story. Mm -hmm. And like there's his story, there's her story, their story. And so it's seen from many, many perspectives, you know, as different individuals, how they experienced it, whether in the home or on the battlefield as a child or as a, you know, grandparent. And it's there's no one history or no one truth. It's actually seen by so many people and experienced by so many. Exactly. It's and it's it's just fascinating to see not only that, but how people translate that history. That they they look at that particular one event and some person may view it completely differently in the context of, of what happened compared to someone else. Um, how that history is interpreted can often be, and if it's only interpreted in one particular way. Um, and all those voices are again lost, uh, then you lose, you miss out on so much and there is so much that is lost to time. It's such a fascinating topic and I honestly think we could fill an entire podcast just, just serving as a, as a teaser to this seminar. Um, but unfortunately, I know we have to move on. Um, but for all of our listeners, this event, Looking Past the Shadow of History, uh, where Annabelle and Christine will be joined by, as mentioned, Miranda Rewo, uh, to discuss uh, this particular topic, will be happening at the Edge Auditorium at the State Library in Brisbane on Friday, the 6th of May. It is a jam-packed festival. We have a lot of topics. There's a lot of things happening. Um, and you can also get, you can get tickets to all of those events. So let's move on to the second part of the podcast. Uh, as all, at normally what we do, we always we encourage our, our guests to bring along books that they're reading and enjoying. Um, Annabelle, I'm going to throw to you first um, for, to discuss the books that you've been reading and enjoying. What have you, what have you brought for us uh, for, our, for this podcast? Well, I'm halfway through The Luminous Solution by Charlotte Wood, which uh, I'm really, really enjoying. I think, it, I think it just came out a few months ago. Uh, in, in Australia, and I'm on a panel with her, so I'm uh, I'm sort of <laughs> I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And in it's a series of essays. I won't I won't talk too much about it because um, I guess it'll be coming up in the festival. But it's a series of essays about uh, creativity and and sort of how we find a really fulfilling inner life. And I think she was sort of inspired by by the pandemic and um, the way in which so many of us had to, we had to, were forced to sort of look inwards really because we had so little going on outwards. Um, so, and it's full of, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful mixture of sort of um, thought provoking ideas and really useful little tips uh, for anyone who wants to be a little bit more creative in their lives. So it's not really, although she's a writer and there's a, a writerly feel, it's definitely not, a book of essays for writers it's for anyone who wants to live a, a more creative life and, I, and I'm, I'm absolutely loving it so that's my first book and my second book is the which I'm it's a reread is the journal of Catherine Mansfield because mm. there's a, an event on Catherine Mansfield that is the top of my list uh, at the Writers Festival and I I'm a big rereader I love going back and rereading things and uh, every time I read, so every time I go back and reread something, I find, particularly something like Catherine Mansfield, I find something else that I'd never spotted before. And I sort of think, why did I not notice this when I read it the first time or the second time? So this is actually my my third reading of her of her journal, and it's um it's sort of even more wonderful the third time around, and and still just as sad as it was the first time. Mm. What's what is what is it about Catherine Mansfield that I mean this event this particular event where where they'll 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 touch on her is is looks particularly fascinating. But on a, from a personal level, what what is it about her that you find so fascinating to examine and revisit whenever you look at her work? Well, there's 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 of course there's that element of tragedy in that she she died so young, and in her a lot of her journal she she writes and she doesn't uh, she knows she knows that she's she knows that she's dying or she suspects that she's dying so she's writing in a space that I have no experience of um 
uh, well, not yet anyway. And so there's that whole, uh, yeah, that whole sort of insider, insider track, if you like, of what is it, what is it like to experience life when you know it's coming to the end? So I find that fascinating. But then, of course, her her story, I mean, her just stories are so, just so brilliant. She was so, and her, for me, some of her best stories she wrote when she was, you know, in her early twenties, and so. Uh, brilliantly observed her insights at such a youthful age um, suggests to me that she really did have a incredibly she was just incredibly talented and, and a very 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 smart brain I yeah she, just it, it's such a pity that she actually she didn't she wasn't long on the on, on this planet when in terms of just how much she she was able to achieve in the time that she was there and what she could have achieved if if she had been able if if, she, if if her life wasn't cut short it's it is such a wonderful collection and I also want to, want to touch about about Charlotte Wood we we absolutely love Charlotte and I know that this the, the luminous solution really uh, kind of made it, it definitely turned a lot of heads when it when it came out here in Australia um just the the topic and the optimism that kind of just breathe mm. that just illuminates well luminously uh from from the book and it's just and it's just a feeling of, of approach to life in general how you should actually just approach things it was i found it personally such a uh in a time when we were all locked up it was exactly the read that i needed um was did yes. you, do, you, do you find the same did you find the same for that for yourself as well Yes, yes. In fact, it's really, it's um, some, there are bits that I read, I think, I, yes, 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 that's so right. That's so right. I must change my life immediately. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's very clear, isn't she? She's very forthright yes, in it. She is. She absolutely no, you is. You could do this or you could do that or you could just wait and see. It's no, grab that inner life, do it now. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> Just no shame whatsoever. Get out there and go. I love it. I love the fact that you're you're going to have the chance to to chat with to chat with her as well. I'm green with envy, absolutely. Um, but thank you so much. Amazing recommendations, um, Christine. I know that you've brought a, a couple of books along as well. What uh, what have you brought along? So um, I've brought along in the time of the Manor Rowans, which is um, by Miro Bilbra. She's a New Zealand author, and this is a memoir. And it's the Manorowans, um, for those who don't know, that would have been a hippie um, commune, which isn't actually so, so far away from where I live in the top of the South Island. You know, it's, it's it, more in the Polaris sounds, in the Marlborough sounds. And it's the memoir of this time of her life. Um, and it's, it's a very moving, um, it's funny, it, it really, it, it's got some kind of absolute raw honesty to it. You know, she doesn't whitewash anything. So I, I just thought when you read this book, I could really feel what it was like for this little girl and the journey she went through from the time she was little when her memory began and the different places she lived and everything that she went through. It was really an amazing um, and very honest read. I love that. Does it also kind of nail, is, is it set within a, a particular space? Because I know that a lot of people aren't totally familiar with just the feeling that New Zealand has. Um, there is a feeling in a place when you are there. Um, does it nail, does it kind of, does it touch on that? Does it lean into that unique experience? Well, it's really in a very particular time and place because for want of a better word, she didn't like to use the word hippie. But she couldn't find a better word. She felt hippie represented more what was going on, you know, in California at the time. But um, it, there were all different kinds of people coming together for different reasons. And though you, from the outside, you might say that they were all similar. Actually, there were many different people. So some people just actually believed in holistic health and um, good food and healthy, you know, living off the ground and the earth again. And then other people would be more smoking their weed. And, you know, they would actually have sometimes clashes between them because the person, one wouldn't, such as her own father, wouldn't touch a drop of drink or smoke any weed. He, health was very important. Whereas the others, they were coming and they were getting more stones. So it was a very different motley of people, but somehow all coming together, you know, at that same time. And she's navigating this whole world as a child, which was um, 
<laughs> you know, and seen from a child's perspective, which is what Taika does a little bit with his film Boy or with his film mm. also um, Jojo Rabbit. To see the adult world from the, the lens of childhood, I find is always very powerful because there's such a, um, you understand what the child is seeing as an adult, but you're seeing it as both child and adult at the same time. Oh, sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. Oh, God damn it. You've added, you've added another book to my TBR pile, which is already the size of the of my, of my ceiling. It's a good three meter high, high TV red pile. I'm, I'm, oh, damn it. You, you, you sold it too well. <laughs> um, what else have you brought? Um, so I brought, so one of the books of Catherine Mansfield was the collected letters of Catherine Mansfield, because I'm going to be giving, you know, participating in a conversation about her. And I was reading this alongside with her journal, along with her stories, along with her poems. But the reason I found that the letters, um, I brought that along because I find that there's something that comes from a letter when you're writing to the people you're closest to and you're just opening yourself and your emotions, you get an aspect of someone's personality that I feel you can't get any other way besides perhaps through her writing and her story. So where I find I get the deepest essence of Catherine Mansfield is through her letters and through her fiction, oddly enough. Mm. It's not from the exterior as experience what she did, where she lived, going here, going there. I, I find it's not even in her journal. I read her journal. But it's through her letters because her letters have really what she wants to talk about at that moment and where her emotions are. So you really have the full spectrum of the emotions, what she's going through, times even where she might be a little bit, um, how could I put, grumpy with Ida Baker. <laughs> you get the full thing when she's, you know, inspired. Other times she's snappish. And so you get really everything. And it's just, um, it feels so genuine, I guess. Oh. I feel like I know her. If I, if she would be there at the festival, I feel after reading this, I could go up to her and just feel, you know, like almost I'm her friend now. Oh, I love that. Annabelle, have you had the chance to check out these this collection? No, but I want to now. <laughs> <laughs> I've been reading the wrong thing. I've been reading the journal. I should have been reading the letters. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's... She, this, she sounds like such a, a fascinating character just consistently hearing about it everyone go to the Catherine Mansfield event I'm just emphasizing that right now because it, it, it honestly is absolutely amazing um Christine I believe you have one more book you have one more book to discuss yeah so I wanted to talk about Annabelle Annabelle's Windswept um Why Women Walk which I've read over the weekend and she's spoken a, a lot of this um herself so I don't want to you know repeat that but I will say what I loved so much about this book is that first you, you're, you're in Annabelle's shoes and those moments that are incredibly funny and I could really relate to because as a writer, I'm not the most um, fearless person myself. And if I have to cross a rope bridge, you know, there's a moment I too, if there's holes, I can either go forward, no go backwards and I'm a bit frozen. So there's that. And at the same time, I was going into the um, footsteps of Simone de Beauvoir, for example, or Georgia O'Keeffe, the American artist. And it was fascinating to look how their work related to their struggles in their life and how their struggles that they had in their life actually related to their need for walking and how this all blended together, I guess, life struggles, life challenges, the high points of one's life and how that interacts so closely with what an artist does, whether in writing or philosophy or in a painting and how at the end nature can really inspire that in so many different ways. And I, I guess I could relate to that because one of the reasons I love living in New Zealand so much and particularly where we live is because I find that um, th there's different parts of writing, but one part of writing is you, you write you know, things, but then you need a bit to forget what you wrote that day so that when you come upon it in the next morning, you have a bit of a clear uh, you know, brain and you can say, okay, this actually I didn't think was so good, but it's better than I thought. And actually this I thought was glorious and what rubbish, I hope no one ever sees that. But I find that walking has that cleansing property. You walk and there's something 
um, where you can just forget everything else, be on a, some different level so that when you come back to your writing, actually, it's almost as if you're reading it for the first time and you don't even remember it. So there's a little bit of amnesia. And I find that walking does that. It gives a kind of energy and inspiration. And I found these different reasons for walking were, um, there were so many in this novel and it was just fascinating to look at other women and artists and you know how they navigate you know, through their own personal lives and their own writing. Thank you. <laughs> Out of curiosity, uh, Christine, like, because I know that, were you unfamiliar with, with some of the, the characters that, that Annabelle brought up? And what was the most fascinating thing you learned? Okay, um, well, well, Simone de Beauvoir, of course, I love her work, um, but I was absolutely not familiar with, so for example, the second sex, I thought was just, you know, a, a brilliant work that I, I often quote and, and from time to time, I think about in given circumstances. Um, but I, I wasn't so familiar with her personal um, challenges with uh, Sartre, you know, and how much he had cheated on her. And I guess I had just assumed that she had such a strong personality I was surprised. I never would have thought she would have actually put up with someone who was. <laughs> so that came as a, as a big surprise. And sometimes her walking um, so long, I felt that she had so much pain from these betrayals and jealousy. And she was just walking because she, she must have been at odds with herself, what she was feeling on the inside, yet what her brain was telling her. And yet for some reason, she was just unable for so long to, to move away um, from him. And at some moment, she said, you know, we've gone from being equals to being now, um, what was it, victim and torture, torture and victim, he the torturer, she the victim. And at some stage, she falls down a crevice and she said, she screams for about 15 minutes that she thinks, there's no way I'm going to die like that. And I can just hear her swearing in French, you know, and going on and before she gets up and saying, this isn't going to be the end of my life. So and yet, surprisingly, she stops to, to walk very young at 38 years old, which was amazing when compared to, I think it was Georgia O'Keeffe. And then even a woman who walked, you know, it, it, what was it, in her mid-70s or mid-80s, a grandmother, great-grandmother, you know, mm, walked thousands yeah. of kilometers. So I just found that fascinating. Well, she's the Australian woman, actually, Clara she, Vivian, the one who, yes. who, who walks until she literally walks until she dies at the age of 90. She never yeah. stopped. And she just <laughs> said, I'm going on a walk. She told no one <laughs> how many kilometres that walk was going to be. Oh, my God, I love that. Mate, walking into, just going on a walk and never coming back. Wow. It's incredible. Um, this book sounds amazing, by the way. Everyone go and get windswept as well. I'm not just I'm not being paid to say that. I'm just a fan. It's just it's just super fun. Um, thank you so much, Christine. Great book recommendations. Absolutely love it. So to finish off our, our podcast, to finish off our discussion, I'm going to throw some fun, silly, ridiculous book questions at both of you. Um, there are no right or wrong answers. It's just a bit of fun. Um, Annabelle, um, Annabelle, I'll throw to you first. What is the perfect idea of a night with a book for you? Perfect night. The perfect night with a book? Mm-hmm. Um, I think lying in a hammock uh, yeah. on a balmy, dry, not raining, a balmy evening, uh, somewhere wild, somewhere wild and green with <laughs> probably with no one else around, but maybe someone to bring me a glass of wine. Is <laughs> <laughs> that allowed? <laughs> That's my dream. It, it, it doesn't happen, but... <laughs> One day we can dream. One day, yes. <laughs> Christine, are you uh, are you also are you also uh, in in the wilderness as well, or are you more like sitting in bed or in, yeah, in front I, of a I fire? Be, I have to be honest. I'm a bit more tame. I'm reeking cozily in bed. <laughs> <laughs> so the perfect night would be actually sometimes when I manage to just finish the whole book and oh. and you know right even if it keeps me up to three in the morning and surprisingly there are books that have done that to me the same book not once not twice but even when I'll go get them a third time it happens you know um and I know it will so but I'll still read the book again and get that kind of um feel 
And I also do, I guess, one thing is I do like to share passages. So the, the passages that really move me, I tend to, you know, put a marking on them. So I read them, you know, thoroughly, but then I do like if someone's still up to be able to say, wait, can I read this? Can I read this? <laughs> Hopefully the other person, say my husband, wouldn't be reading a book himself. So I wouldn't be, stop. <laughs> I have to read this passage. But, um, That's the best compliment you can give a book that it's, if someone comes up to you and says, um, I read your book in five hours. Even if that book took you five years to write, you'd be going, well, that's the best compliment you can get because you couldn't put it down. Exactly. Which makes me, which makes me, which makes me so happy. Yes. Exactly. As an author, Deprived I did my you job. Of some sleep, exactly. <laughs> Deprived you of sleep. I mean, yeah, sorry about that, but uh, I love that, that you've been that emotionally invested in the book that, that was written. Oh, they both sound amazing and it makes me want to go and do it right now. Um, second question. You are, and I'll throw to you first, Christine, for this one. You are stuck on a desert island and you can only take three books for you while you wait for help. What books would you take? Ooh, okay. Get three. I'll take, okay. Lord of the Flies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Moby Dick. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I guess... Robinson Crusoe, probably because <laughs> probably because I get a lot of tips how to survive from Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> I, lo I love I love your that there's a practical element to yeah, uh, to to the books that you select. I... Part of me would think if I read Lord of the Lord of the, of the Flies, I'd immediately become paranoid as all hell. Because... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's a good thing abandoned on an island. <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes the setting's amazing because if you're on a setting like that and you actually read a book that has a setting, you can never detach the book and the feeling of the sea. I might change, though. I might change Robinson Crusoe for the old man and the sea because oh. these are really such powerful reads. And the, the sea is actually a character. In fact, interestingly, at the festival, there's going to be one of the sessions is about how the sea has a voice of its own. Yes. And there's a lot of the writing, um, even Joseph Conrad's writing, mm. which I find has the sea. I love books which have the sea like that, where they come to the fore and the sea becomes a character in itself. And so I guess that's why I would take some where the sea plays a major part. Um, Hemingway can even describe the changes of the color of the water or the way the light plays off the water with such beauty you feel like you've um, you know you're really there and you're experiencing it that the sea of the song is that the yeah the, exactly yeah, yeah. yeah that one so that's one I'm really looking you know forward to, to seeing because I find the sea plays such a beautiful character um, in so many books that, that you know really draw me yeah, I know Sarah Runcie. She was when when we had her, when I had her on. She was absolutely singing praises for this particular this particular subject, just because of, of the sea and water in all of its forms. It sounds like an amazing selection. Wow, what great recommendations to go to, for a desert island. I love it. Um, Annabelle, do you what what books would you take? Would you be uh, would you be as practical, or would you be going? No, I want to relax. And let uh, and, and eat up time while someone comes and rescues me. Uh, no, I have a very practical streak in me. So I, my first book would probably be the Foragers Handbook, <laughs> so that I could, <laughs> yeah, so that I would know what plants were edible, <laughs> and you know, and and useful things like how to start a you know how to start a campfire and how to find a, a hidden root in the sand. So I'd have, I'd have something practical. I think I would have. Um, I think I might take. I think I might take the second sex because there's just so much in it that would keep me thinking. So even when I'm just lying there feeling sorry for myself or my, you know, my, I'm just, I've got a sunstroke or whatever, you know, I could open it up and there'd be an idea that would make me think. And also, of course, I'd be the first sex on this island. So I'd be feeling, you know, okay, I'm the first sex. Now I can read about the second sex. <laughs> and then, and then my last choice, I would take um, the collected poems of, of my father. So uh, uh, he was a poet. So um I, I could then just have that connection with with you know home with my family with my own past and with my and with my dad so oh. yes I'd have there you go some poetry some philosophy and a, and a foraging handbook I love that <laughs> <laughs> I love that you that you both have got have come up with practical solutions I love that the majority of people whenever I ask that question are all like I'm just going to take along an entire book series when they've cheated they've been naughty and they and they've 
and, and we're going to just try and wait out the time as much as possible. I love that you're getting stuck in and going, all right, let's survive, survive this desert island. I respect that. Um, second last question. And I'll throw to you first for this one, Annabelle. If you could meet one fictional character in all of literature, anyone, who would you want to meet? I think uh, Anna Karenina. Oh, yes. From, from Anna Karenina. <laughs> I, think, I think it would be her, yes. I would love to just sit down and, well, in fact, not sit down. I would love to go for a really long walk with her. I mean, obviously, she'd be she'd be in some long flowing dress and totally impractical shoes. So I'd give I would lend her a pair of my walking boots and then we would set off together and I would ask her. God, so many questions I would ask her. Oh, I'm curious um, now. What would you ask? Well, I'd want to. Well, I'd want to know. I think I'd, I'd want to know. Well, I'd probably start at the end. I would want to know why, why she ended it like that. Mm. Um, you know, what, what, because obviously we only know Tolstoy's, Tolstoy's version. I'd want to know her <laughs> version, <laughs> if that makes sense, because I'm going to dissociate her from Tolstoy and turn her into my Anna Karenina. Mm, I love uh, and that. Then we'd, and then we'd work backwards. Mm. <laughs> I love am that. I, I love that take, Am I allowed to do her? Of course. <laughs> I'm to take her for a walk? Absolutely, you can take her for a walk. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, Christina, what's, uh, who would you pick? Um, I'm going to go back in time to when I was a child and someone I would have wanted to, to meet back then is I'd like to meet Alice in Wonderland. In Wonderland. Oh, yes. Um, because that was a book I read so, so often when I was young. And then she'd be tiny and then she'd be huge and then she'd take her mushrooms and then, <laughs> and then she was just, um, yeah, she was apparently really inspired by, um, she was the daughter of a little girl from one of the colleges, I don't remember which one, at Oxford University, if I remember correctly. Mm. But um, yeah, I think I would just have such a magical fantasy conversation and freedom and imagination and just some fun, some lightness and fun like that. I love that. What a great pick. God, Alice in Wonderland. Yes, please. Because you'd be able to chat. That you'd have such interesting conversations with her um, in terms of everything. For me, I'm stuck with Holden Caulfield, Catherine the Rye. I don't know oh, why. God. Something, oh, something yes. is really giving me yes. an itch. I'd love to have a chat with Holden just about anything and everything and, and listen to his unreliable narrator rants and just hear everything that he has to say, particularly about the world right now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's one that really mocked me too, all of mm. that. Yeah. God, now, now I want to, now off the back of Alison, I'm like, oh, would I like to meet the Cheshire Cat? Or the Mad yeah, Hatter? Yeah, I was just or thinking the, the Mad Hatter. Yeah. <laughs> the Mad Hatter, yeah. On face. The Mad Hatter must have Sit down for the tea. Sit down at the tea party with them, see what they, see what they all have to say. Yes. <laughs> um, last question. Uh, obviously you guys will both be very, very busy during the festival. I feel like you guys have been alluding to which event that you would want to go to, but if you could pick one event for the festival that you are most excited about seeing, what would it be? Christine, you can go first. Okay, so I would say there's one that's called Subversions, um, Janet Frame, and that's going to be with um, Pip Adam and Paula Morris. And the reason I'm so interested by this one is because I've read so many of Janet Frame's books Angel at My Table, um, Owls Do Cry, the, the Edge of the Alphabet, um, Scented Gardens for the Blind. But I've never actually talked to anyone about these books. So these are books I've read completely on my own. I've never engaged with any other readers. So it's not like at university or you have books that your friends have read or something. So I feel quite important to actually have contact with other people as we discuss this because it's, she's such a complex writer. Mm -hmm. And I feel um, I've picked up what I have, but I find often with discussing with other people about a reading, I love to hear other people's feelings, what they've taken from it, because I feel it just adds different dimensions to, to an author and to a work. And I find that necessary because reading is a solitary activity, but I find there's something always incredible when then we can start having discussions over that same work and, and find mm. what things we've engaged with, what things we were more challenged with, for example. 
Mm, yeah, it's all like I. Even though I agree with you, it's a, it's a solitary activity. But often you're in in like I always find it being in consultation with. You're chatting, essentially having a conversation with the author who has written that text, and the, the chance to actually sit down and see what it did with other people, as yeah. well, how they interacted from that same conversation that you had as well. Um, so fascinating. Yeah, it brings it to life, it feels like, because more people, you know, have lived through these stories and mm. they, they draw upon details you might not have picked up or different perspectives. And it just, it really adds something, I oh, find. Absolutely. Layer upon layer. That, uh, oh, that one sounds so good. Oh, oh God damn. Um, Annabelle, are you, uh, what are you most excited to go and see? Well, I also have Janet Frame at the top of my list. <laughs> <laughs> Janet Frame and Catherine Mansfield. But I'm also really looking forward to hearing Holly Ringland talk. Oh, so yes. she she is talking and I, I've got a horrible feeling it might be at a similar time to one of mine, but I need to double check that. So she, I think, is going to be talking. Well, she's going to be talking about the, the flowers of Alice Hart, but I think also about the, the process of it being filmed and adapted. Mm. So she's also like Christine gone to, or she's not quite at the end, but getting to the end. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's also up on my up on my list. But to be honest, I'm also really interested in all of the um, events that are going to teach me more about Brisbane, because oh, I know nothing yes. about Brisbane. Mm-hmm. So all of the people who are doing these sort of in situ, going to different parts, speaking in different places about different aspects of the the cities and the area's history, will be absolutely fascinating for me. Yeah, um, Sarah Sarah Runcie was so was especially excited about this one when I mentioned it to when we we discussed it when she came on and talked about the fact that that Brisbane is a city that is just full of so many incredible fascinating stories both with the you know with the First Nations people who lived there thousands and thousands of years mm-hmm. before um, before Europeans arrived um, and then since with the the dynamic building of the city over many many years um, and that every single place in that city has a story in itself. Um, it makes you recontextualize the entire place. You, you look yeah. at the place differently. It's so, fa- it, it's, it sounds like such a fascinating uh, collection of, of events um, around Brisbane and it'll make you look at Brisbane in a different way. Um, exactly, here, exactly. Yeah. And I love, because I'm so obsessed with you know, the place, the mm. fact that they're gonna be delivering their, uh, whatever it is, performance or talk in the place. Um, I think is going to be really, really powerful. Mm, exactly. Oh, they all sound so good. There's so many fantastic events. Oh, I absolutely love it. Um, thank you so much to both of you, Annabelle, Christine. It's been an absolute privilege chatting with you both, and I cannot wait to see you both at the festival. It's been wonderful chatting to you both. Thank you so much for your time oh, today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, it has been an absolute pleasure and I hope that, you know, uh, everyone gets along to your events and also you get the chance to check out the festival for yourself and meet so many of the incredible writers and and everyone else, artists and everyone there um, who will be taking part. So for all of our our listeners, the Brisbane Writers Festival will run from May 3rd to May 8th and you can head to bwf.org.au to check out the program and get tickets. All of the links will be included in the description. Booktopia is delighted to serve as the book partner for the Brisbane Writers Festival, so be sure to check out the incredible online events they have put together as part of their author slash editor series and their author illustrator series. Among these authors include Michelle Law, Trent Dalton, Gary Lonesborough, Sammy Bailey, Sean Tan, the list goes on. It's an incredible series and tickets are available right now. As mentioned at the top of the podcast, Booktopia customers get access to a 33% discount of $10 per episode from the series. And they are released every month until November. No, it is not just on during during the Writers' Festival. It's on all year. So head over, use the discount code Booktopia to get access to $10 tickets and let the festival know that we sent you. You can get copies of all of the books mentioned today uh, in today's podcast right now by heading to the links in the description or head over to a small little website called booktopia.com.au. It's a good website. You should go check it out. Yeah. (laughs) Please help me keep a job. It's much appreciated. (laughs) I'm going to check your book, by the way. Check out your book because it seems... I I read the plot just over the weekend and I can't wait to read this. I am so flattered. That is so very kind. But that of is such a good plot. I oh, mean, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, you basically leave someone on a cliffhanger 
four guys, they start to talk. One guy has problems, they're not going to. I mean, the, and then you just stop there. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> now your book got added, as if I didn't have enough books from Brisbane, yours just got added onto the list. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yes, I, I, I apologize in advance for the for the long to-be-read to pile you'll have from Yeah, yeah, but you, were, you nailed it. You nailed it. It's just that one <laughs> sentence, it's like... Okay, now I've got to know. <laughs> I've got to know what's happening here. What are the guys doing? Especially when you said, um, and then it's going to change all their lives and their families' lives. Okay, that's it. That's it. Page turner. <laughs> we go. I'm I'm so flattered that you responded so well to my book because that's uh, that was that, whenever I hear that I'm like that was five years of my life that I'll never get back. I know, then, <laughs> yeah. but that moves me when someone puts five years because I know what it is, and that shows how much you've had to work, rewrite, rewrite, write, and. Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lost for words now. I'm shocked. <laughs> oh, but thank you so much. I appreciate that. We also, for all of our listeners also, we are currently in the middle of a production break for the next few weeks. So stay tuned for our next episode on May 18th, where we'll be, work, where we'll, where we'll be welcoming uh, Alison Datto, Sarah Wills, and Lise Carlaw. Thanks for listening and never stop reading. <laughs>